Well, this morning, like I said, we continue our discussion um, of Jesus as a disciple maker. We see what he taught us, but we also see how he modeled for us that process of making disciples. And today is going to be, well, I'll be honest, a little bit of maybe my least favorite of the series, because it's probably the activity that I dislike the most, but is ever bit of a, is very much, very much part of that disciple-making process. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to John 21. We'll also have the scripture on the screen. And in verse 18, this last chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking with Peter, one of his disciples who had been with him uh, from the very beginning, one of his first called uh, disciples who was called to be an apostle. But if you remember the story, this is Peter who denied Jesus. When Jesus was facing the cross, when Jesus was facing his time of trial, when Jesus was about to suffer and die for our sins on our behalf, this same Peter, who had been with him for at least three years, walking, teaching, seeing the miracles, even being used by God to do things to make Jesus known and in the miraculous by, by himself, this same Peter, who swore he was ready to die for Jesus, denied Jesus three times. Huh. And here, Jesus is talking with Peter and says in verse 18, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Now, I don't know exactly if Jesus is making just a giant metaphor, but there is a metaphor there, right? As we age, all of a sudden, sometimes we lose some control. Now, when we're young, our moms, right, and our dads, our parents, somebody in our lives dresses us. They pick our clothes. Did you do this for your children? You know, that, that first day of school kind of outfit? Or did you let your children kind of pick their own clothes? I think my mom thought it was a good idea to let me pick my own clothes. But then I came up with some pretty interesting stuff, right? There's the kid that's like, wait, mom, I got my cowboy boots with my, my socks pulled up to my knees with my, you know, who knows what outfit we would pick on our own. Though as children get older, it is good to give them some autonomy, right? They're, they're choosing what they want to wear. But some point in our lives, our children are often the ones who begin to make choices for us, where we're going to live, what we're going to do. I think Jesus, though, is saying something different here, right? Jesus is talking specifically to Peter about, hey, you used to kind of live your own life, your own way. You had your own autonomy, but you've chosen to be my disciple, and that's going to have some cost. Look at the very next verse. It says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to Peter, follow me. When we come as disciples of Jesus Christ, that, of course, is the main commandment. Follow Jesus. Do what Jesus said to do. Be obedient to him. Discipleship is all about followership. It's all about making our lives conform to the image of Jesus, to obey him in all things. For Peter, that meant that Peter would travel the world, that Peter would testify to the greatness and goodness and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he would stand before emperors and kings in Rome and ultimately be crucified like Jesus was. That's what church tradition tells us. 
following Jesus means obedience and often means giving up some of the things we thought we wanted but here I'm here to tell you that I think this word follow me today leads us to a place that often we don't want to go what am I talking about well for me the king of conflict avoidance I, I, I don't like conflict I really don't the king of hey let me just kind of let, let, let things well maybe it'll get better I hope it gets better maybe Jesus tells us to go some places where we don't always want to go. There are relational places that we don't want to go. For example, maybe we're needing to give some instruction. We're needing to do some teaching. Now, I like to teach. I, I enjoy that. Maybe you do too. Um, I like to give a word of instruction, especially maybe from the pulpit or maybe in the classroom where I'm the teacher and you've got to learn what I've got to say because that's just how it goes. But I'm telling you the kind of instruction that is sometimes interpersonal, sometimes that, that instruction where something's going wrong in somebody's life it moves to correction where we're having to say to someone your expectations are incorrect your methodologies are not good what you are doing in your life it's not okay confrontation you've all heard of that right having like some kind of an intervention with somebody getting a group around it I do I do not like that idea but ultimately it's for restoration to bring someone who is not following the Lord back to following him what if we stop for a second and ask Jesus to call to mind someone in your life someone you know is not walking in the way they should walk they've said they're a follower of Jesus they've made a commitment to Jesus but maybe it's pretty obvious there are some places that they're not walking with the Lord. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child or a cousin. Lord, would you speak to us? Father, we know that this time is yours. By your Holy Spirit, would you guide our thoughts? Would you guide our thinking today? So that we might be used of you for your purpose of restoration, even in confrontation. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our discipler, our teacher, and our savior. Amen. Well, Jesus engaged in confrontation and in restoration with Peter. If we back up in the same chapter, chapter 21, that's where we see this story begin. And it says afterward, in verse 1, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Here's how it happened. It happened this way. Simon Peter there he is, that key apostle, listed first, becomes a leader in the church, denied Jesus three times. Simon Peter, oh yeah, Thomas was there too. Remember Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas. The one who, di who didn't believe the other apostles when they said, we've seen the Lord. He's risen from the dead, just like he said. And Thomas was like, yeah, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He was also called Didymus. You know why he's called Didymus? It's like the word ditto. You know what ditto is? Like, again... He was a twin. Didymus means twin. So he, was a, he had a twin brother. So those of you have twins, there's a twin in the Bible. There he is. Okay, uh, so Thomas, also known as the twin, uh, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and the other, and two other disciples were there together. They don't even really get their names told, but, you know, they're on the list. They were all there together. Peter says in verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, 
Church family, this shouldn't really surprise us. Here, Peter has, Jesus has risen from the dead, and his disciples are back in their hometown, their home area, and Simon Peter was a fisherman. So were James and John. That was their trade. These guys had been together for three years, and Peter's like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but somebody around here has got to make some money. I'm going to go out and fish, because that's what I do. Taking some initiative. Work is good. I'm working with some young men that want to kind of sit around. I'm like, guys, it's time to work. Yeah, but I've already worked 20 hours this week. I'm thinking, guys, 40 hours. Your expectation is too low. Let's get started. Let's get going. You need to expect a little bit more, a little more output. Okay, in that situation, Peter seems to have done something normal. But here's what I'm telling you. Jesus has already risen from the dead. He has already told them about the discipleship mission that they are to have. He has been modeling for them a ministry and a relationship with God for three years. They had a task. They had a mission. And Peter, he's already drifting. It's only been three weeks since the resurrection. This should be the time of excitement. This is the time to spread the good news. This is the time to tell everyone about Jesus is alive. And Peter's like, I don't know, guys, I, I think, I don't know. I'm going back to fishing. Is this a career move? Is he shifting back into what is normal, what is comfortable? Is he going back to fish? And brothers and sisters, this is having an impact. The other apostles, some of which who were not even fishermen, these other disciples are going, yeah, okay, teach us what to do here, Peter. <laughs> how, how, how do we do this? Well, we get the nets ready. We got to get in the boat ready. And off we go. But that night, they caught nothing. They were returning to an empty way of life that Jesus had brought them out of. Not that fishing as a career is, an, is, is, is somehow worthless, but when the call of God on your life is to follow Him, to do something with Jesus, everything about this world is just mundane. It's regular. In verse 4, it goes on, early in the morning, Jesus actually stands on the shore and stood on that shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. It must have been far enough away. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Jesus at this moment begins that restoration process. Jesus begins that confrontation process. Jesus begins to intersect their lives. How? By reminding them. Watch what he does. Watch how reminiscent this is. Back in Luke chapter 5, we're talking three years earlier. Luke chapter 5, three years earlier, it says that when Jesus had finished teaching, he was teaching a large crowd, he said to Simon, this owner of a fishing boat, put into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, <laughs> you don't understand, we've worked hard all night. And we haven't caught anything. You see the parallel? Right? It was another all-night fishing trip. It was another all-night experience where Peter the fisherman, who sort of thought he knew what he was doing, had caught nothing, had been left empty with the regular part of life. And here Jesus appeared to him and said, No, 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 go, go put, put your nets out. Let's go out. And Peter replies, But because you say so, I'm going to let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, in Luke chapter 5, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Jesus begins this restoration process with Peter by reminding Peter what he had lost. 
He reminded him how the faith was at the beginning. How exciting it was when he first met Jesus. When he first encountered Jesus. When this miracle worker, this rabbi, this one that John the Baptist was saying was the Lamb of God. The one his brother Andrew who said, we have found this Lamb of God. We have found the one that the, the, the prophets have talked about. When these moments of excitement had happened and this first miracle that Peter sees had happened, Jesus reminds him of those days. Jesus reminds us of those days. And that's our first point today. That in restoration work, when we are going to those brothers and sisters who have now strayed, those brothers and sisters who have sort of lost that, that excitement of the first days, when we're back with those brothers and sisters who have sort of cooled down, we need to remind people what they are missing. Do you need that today? I remember those first days. I remember those first days when I first got to, oh, let's pick a place. Maybe it was New York and we were there and we were like, how are we, we're going to see this campus reach for Jesus? And one girl said, yeah, I'll be part of the ministry. There was only one. Or that first day when I was at Towson University and, and a friend gave me the name of one student who said, yeah, I'll be part of starting a ministry here. I, and I was like, Lord, help us, and praying, and just walking through the campus, anticipating, God, what would you do here? I remember those first days here at Valley Baptist Church. Oh, I was just kind of preaching for you all. But secretly, I was walking around. You, you know, we, you've seen it so much that you stop. But, but walking out through the preschool thinking, all of these children who are coming, all of these teachers, all of these parents, how will they be reached for Jesus? How will they hear, will they come to know the Lord this year? Walking by the facilities out front, walking around the buildings. Back there, you don't really need to go, I'm just telling you. But, but over here, walking back and forth. God, what will you want to do here in this place? That's why I'm doing the Sunday nights, by the way. I need to remember what it was first like. I need to remember what those first days were like being here. When I would sit in this sanctuary and say, God, will you bring your fire? Would you bring your power? God, would you do a refreshing work? Would you bring something new? I need that. You need that too. And our brothers and sisters need that. Those who have strayed away. Those who need to remember what it was like when they made a decision to follow Jesus at youth camp. Those who remember what it was like when they did their first mission trip. Those who remember. They need to be reminded. Our children, our grandchildren, our cousins, our friends, people at work. They need to be reminded. When I was on a mission trip. Uh, as, as a young teenager, I remember knocking on a door. We were just canvassing a, an area. We were a youth choir, and we were inviting people to come hear our music, and we were telling people about the goodness of Jesus. And I remember one lady came to the door, and she said, you know, when I was younger, I used to do exactly what you're doing. But it's been a long time since I've been anywhere near God's mission, His people, or God's work. I, I, we didn't need to preach to her. We didn't need to give her well, all the Bible reasons why. We just were there as a reminder. You're missing what you had at first. You were missing those exciting days. Well, it goes on in verse 7. We see what happens. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that ends up being John, who's writing this gospel down, says to Peter, 
wait, it's the Lord. Remember we were there. Remember what happened. This is the same thing. He, the, the miraculous catch of fish. It's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, I'm always thinking oh, oh, how bizarre because I, I'm usually like, you know, get to my bathing suit to jump in the water. But he's actually putting clothes on, uh, I guess because he wants the clothes when he gets to the shore. He wraps out his garment, jumps in, doesn't care that there's going to be soap, that it's all going to be wet. He wants to be with Jesus. And there's a truth there too. See, we always think that people who are walked away, people whose hearts have become hardened or cold, we begin to assume that, well, they don't want anything to do with God anymore. They, they, they really don't want uh, anything to, to, to do, do with, with God's purpose or plan in their life. But here's the reality. They just need to be reminded because actually, that's what we were created for. With it, the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit longs for those days of restoration, longs for refreshment, longs for renewal. Peter jumped in the water. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals, and with some fish already on it and some bread. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the nets were not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said, come, have some breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, uh, who are you? Uh, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Now, I, the, the scene is interesting to me. Having breakfast right there, the fish cooking on fire. I remember coming uh, on a mission trip in Senegal in West Africa and working with the Lebu people who are fishermen. And we watched actually some of the guys come. And in the compound we were at, some men who had been out all night, they'd actually been out for about two days, came in and they, I mean, just cut the fish in half and threw them straight on the coals. I mean, it was an interesting sight. And I can just imagine that this is exactly the scene that Jesus had with his disciples. They, they did stop and had a moment of just refreshment and food and bread together. Notice verse 14 though. It was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. It was the third time. When I think about restoration work, when I think about helping my brothers and sisters like Jesus did, I think we can learn something by this key verse. We need to wait patiently and prayerfully for the right moment. Now, remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times on the night that Jesus was crucified. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and that evening, Jesus had appeared to the disciples. Later, it says that, Peter, that Jesus had appeared to Peter. Then we know that it had been a couple more times, and here, this is the third time Jesus appeared to a group of disciples. Why didn't Jesus do the restoration work on the first time? All right, <clears throat> line up everybody. I'm back from the dead. Here it is. First, okay, Tom, where's Thomas? Somebody go get Thomas because he's supposed to be here. He's going to doubt this. All right, Peter, you're next. Let's line you up. Here's what you did wrong. Hey, the rest of you guys, you're not getting the off easy. You took off even before Peter did. So um, at least he was around to deny me. You guys just ran. So we're going to talk about that here in a second. Jesus could have addressed all the disciples right at the beginning. He could have gone after each one where they had failed. But instead, here's the third time. 
This was the moment that they, Peter was open. This was the moment that Jesus knew he needed to address this with Peter. So look what he says. When they had finished eating, and maybe there's something about that too. If you're going to have to talk to somebody about, a conversa- about something deep like this, maybe, just maybe, prayerfully, have a meal. Have a meal. Oh, I, I, it, was, it had been several years since this young man had graduated from college. He was the worship leader. We'd spent years in discipleship, growing and getting to know Jesus. It was an exciting time in his life. But after college, he began to drift, made some choices, some life choices that led him into some sins. More and more, he just kind of gone away. It wasn't that he didn't believe in God or didn't believe in Jesus anymore, but just other things began to be more important. Certain social agendas, certain lifestyle choices. Well, I went to see him. Uh, I was in the city that he was living, and I, I called him up and said, Hey, I'm going to be in town. Can we catch lunch? He said, That would be great. We sat down, and after we caught up about career and life, I just said, Hey, how's it going with your walk with God? His response was, are we seriously going to do this right now? I'm like, well, yeah, (laughs) I'm your friend. I love you. I care about you and your walk with Jesus. He said, well, here's the deal. And he just began to share about what was going on and what wasn't going on. And I just began to remind him of of God's love for him in life and calling on his life. And we had a great visit, a good talk. But I was praying that whole week because I knew we were going to have that appointment. I was praying that God would have his heart be open. But we did have a meal together. I think it made it go better. All right. Well, when they had finished having the meal, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter says. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Now, when Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these? I don't think it was more than the other disciples. Hey, so do you love me more than John? Do you love me more than than, uh, Thomas over here? You know, I, I think he's saying, do you love me more than all this other stuff? The fishing. The town here around Galilee where you grew up. Your home. Your, 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 what you think is your life is all about. You said you were going to follow me. Do you love me more than these? When we do restoration work, when we challenge people to come back to that walk with Jesus, we need to be those who just ask the question. Ask the question, what do people really value? Ask them to clarify for themselves. Is Jesus worth more than everything else? Or is everything else worth more than Jesus? There's a young man uh, that we, uh, during prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, have been praying for. And God is starting to do awakening in his heart. And I'm really excited. Because I've known him when he was the one leading music. When he was the one being the first guy to sign up for mission trip. When he was the one that would do anything for the Lord. He started making money. And I mean making money. Oh, it was some kind of online business. It's good. I mean, it's legal. It's all. But he, I mean, all of a sudden, everything else began to take over. What's come up again is, do you love that? The fortune? The success? More than Jesus. All sin is a love problem. All, all of it is just, do you love entertainment more than Jesus? Do you love rela- some relationships more than Jesus? We just need to allow people to clarify. Get back to the question. Do you love me more than these? That's what Jesus asked. In fact, he asked it again in verse 16. He says, Jesus, Jesus said, again, Jesus said, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Verse 17, A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now Peter's right. Peter knows that Jesus knows all things. Jesus is the author of all things. Jesus doesn't need anybody else to explain the situation to him. Jesus knows what's in our heart more than we know what's in our heart. Jesus knows exactly where Peter was at. So why does Jesus ask him a third time? Well, most of us want to say this. Most Bible scholars just kind of go, well, it's to correspond to the three denials. So that, okay, you denied me three times. I'm going to give you an opportunity to restate your love for me three times. That makes perfect sense to me. I think that's really good. But I think Jesus did it for another reason too. Look what it says. Peter was hurt. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Now, our goal is never to hurt anyone. But sometimes, we, in restoration work, we need to allow people to hurt. We need to allow people, uh, and this is our fourth point, that we need to allow people to have actual repentance and actual sorrow. I can remember, um, at a, I did a, a, I'm going to do, in a couple weeks, I'm going with uh, uh, some of our boys uh, from the church. We're going to go to, to boys camp. <clears throat> it's been a long time since I've gone to boys camp. I'm looking forward to the, um, I'm sure the food's going to be amazing and the cots um, that we sleep on out in the wilderness are going to be, be super comfortable. Um, I'm expecting that uh, the mosquitoes will be very friendly um, and, uh, you know, it's boys camp, right? I mean, it is canoeing and archery and it sounds fun, but I mean, it, you know, it's, you know it, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. This particular youth camp, uh, years ago, uh, some of the young boys, some of the high school boys, had snuck in some alcohol. Now, they're not allowed to bring alcohol to camp. It's a big no-no. This camp happened to be in another state. So it was not close by where the parents could come pick them up. We had to put them on an airplane to fly home. Some of the younger boys had told on some of the elder boys, and one of the camp counselors was like an ex-Marine MP military police guy. He was like, oh yeah, they got alcohol, and oh boy, there it went, oh, it, they're in trouble. And we kind of had a policy that, look, there's certain rules that if you break them, you just go home. And so it, it's, that's just how it is. Well, they were broken, they were upset. I mean, their parents are super upset, because now you're going to pay for a flight to come home on the first day. I mean, it was a mess. It was a mess. I found myself just wanting to kind of go in and talk to those guys and say, guys, this isn't the biggest mistake in the world. I mean, you, you did wrong. And, did, and it was trying to start comforting, right? Because that's what we do. And the youth minister at the time, I was a young seminary student, the youth minister was like, you need, you need to actually stop. They need, to, they need to feel the weight of what they did and why they did it. You don't need to just give comfort at the moment. You need to let them kind of stew in this for a second. There'll be a time for comforting later, but it's okay for them to, to feel a little bit of that way. Now that may shock some of us because 
that, that's exactly how I am. I'm quick to comfort. I'm quick to console. I'm quick to surround. But the truth of the matter is, I can look at my own life that when I have brushed over my sin, when I have glossed over it, when I've just said, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, and then moved on, I'm very quickly back into that sin. But when it has cut deeply in my heart, when I have been sorrowful, when I've taken the time to actually repent, it's actually produced transformation in my life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Even if I caused you sorrow, Paul writes to the Corinthian church who had committed some sins and even some sins against Paul. He says, if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. Because I see my letter hurt you, but it was only for a little while. Verse 9, yet now I'm happy not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. You became sorrowful as God intended, so that you were not harmed in any way by us. Why is that? He tells us in verse 10, because godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to be faithful in following Jesus and confronting the sins in others, if you're going to be faithful in addressing these issues, talking to that child or grandchild, if you're going to be the one that is able to say to that coworker, that believer that is kind of stepped away from the Lord, hey, what's going on in your life? How is your walk with Jesus? And I haven't seen you pick up your Bible in a really long time. Hey, if you're going to be faithful in that, you need to allow people to have a little bit of, oh, yeah, that's sorrow. It's okay. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance is okay. When people examine and say, I have messed up. I have left what was good, that was spring of living water, and I've dug a cistern for myself that doesn't even hold water. That's a good biblical image from Jeremiah. I'm living, a, you know, the prodigal son. I'm now in the pig slop. It's okay for people to come to their senses and be sorrowful. Not forever but for a little bit. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, uh, that same book, in chapter 2, earlier, when Paul has talked about someone who repented, he says, now you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. And I think that brings us to our last point of how Jesus did restoration work. He did restoration work by reaffirming Peter's calling and Peter's work in God's family. We need to reaffirm that God's love never fails, that God's place in the, that the place in the family for that person has been made permanent by God, and they have a place that they continue to serve and minister. Look at what Jesus did. In verse 15, when Je they had finished eating, Jesus said, Oh yeah, do you love me? But then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep in verse 16. And again, the third time, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Brothers and sisters, we are called to reaffirm that the calling, the place of service, and the place of family and others. This passage has meant a lot to me over the years because it reminds me how I, as a pastor, as a servant of Jesus, need to go after the lost sheep, the ones who are not walking with the Lord. We have a calling. We need to follow. We need to be those instruments of God used to help to restore. But you know what? 
<laughs> before all of you go, well, yep, I'm ready. <laughs> I got my list of people I'm ready to go uh, speak to. I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm armed and ready. Listen to Paul's words. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, not like you caught them like, aha, I caught you, but they are trapped. They are held in captivity by a sin. They, 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 they are stuck there. You who are walking in the Spirit, or you who are living by the Spirit, some translations, you who are spiritual, you need to be in the right place. Jesus said, before you go trying to get a speck out of somebody else's eye, make sure you got the plank out of your own eye. You need to say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. You need to be in that right place with the Lord. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently following Jesus's model but look what he says but watch yourselves watch yourselves or you too may be tempted there's a temptation to become judgmental there's a temptation to overlook your own faults there's a temptation that you might also kind of like the other apostles get sucked into the same sin that Peter was doing going back to an old empty lifestyle that Jesus had called him out of Brothers and sisters, be careful. Make sure you are living by the Spirit. Anybody else not want to go this drought? Anybody else not want to do the work of confrontation? Anybody else thinking, oh, gee, why did I come on this Sunday? <laughs> I was kind of looking for a better message. This is a tough one. But if we're going to make disciples, this is going to be part of the task. Follow Jesus. So who needs your help in returning to the Lord? Are you walking in the Spirit today? Will you, when will you, take that first step of obedience to begin to pray? Now some of you, you might never have taken that first step to even accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today, if that's you, today's your day. And whether you're online watching us from somewhere in the world, it doesn't matter. If you have not said yes to Jesus, today say yes to Jesus. Or if you haven't been walking with Jesus and you're like, actually, I, somebody needs to do this with me. I'm realizing I have not been uh, in the joy of the Lord. I have not been walking like Jesus wanted me to walk. I have been the one that has stepped away. Maybe today is your day to return. Before you go out to confront someone else, maybe today is your day of restoration. When will you take that first step. The invitation is now, I'm going to be here at the front. I'd be happy to pray with you if there's something that you specifically need or, or perhaps you want to join this church or maybe you're just needing someone to pray with you about some specific need. While we sing this next song, you come, you respond as God is calling you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Thank you that Jesus, in care, went to Peter and modeled for us how to restore those. Lord, we confess that we so often fall into sin. We so often get caught in a place where we shouldn't be. But Lord, you content, gently bring us back and you use us to restore your people. Help us take care of your sheep. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.